The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 148 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Pinello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So folks, last week we had my executive coach, founder of the Selby Group, Mrs. Jennifer Selby-Long, on to talk about her experiences coaching over 3,000 executives in Fortune 500 and Silicon Valley startups. She provided great insight and advice on how to handle ineffective bosses, the do's and don'ts of leading yourself and others through crisis and change, how to lead and influence while working remotely, especially in these crazy times of the pandemic. And she also revealed her perspective on moving through your leadership career. All that and much, much more on episode one, 47 of Task Force 7 Radio. That's how to manage ineffective bosses on last week's episode of TF7 Radio. So, folks, I want to continue with the theme of coaching and the career journey. I mean, folks are, you know, companies are downsizing due to, you know, the the, uh, pandemic. Q1, Q2 of next year could be really interesting from a financial perspective for the globe. Um, And so I wanted to bring in somebody who, who I've known for a really long time. Um, this person, you know, was in IT, quit their job, um, and and wanted to share wanted him to share his journey uh, that he used to find the right fit. We have a very special guest for you tonight, folks. We have the founder of Jacinta Consulting, Mark Connell. Mark is the founder of Jacinta Consulting, a firm focused on advancing sustainable energy development and climate adaptation in domestic and emerging markets, markets, especially the Caribbean and Latin America. He focuses on the intersection of policy, finance, technology, and regulatory reform for private and public sector clients, as well as multilateral agencies. Mark is also a senior fellow at World Watch Institute, where he continues building on the groundbreaking work he led with sustainable energy roadmaps for individual governments and regional entities. He spent three years supporting the U.S. Army's Office of Energy Initiatives to implement energy resilient solutions at military installations across the United States. He holds a BS in electrical engineering from Marquette, an MA in international relations from John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies with a focus on international economics, energy resources, and conflict management. He's calling in from El Salvador tonight to chat with us, folks, about his recent blog, Make Change, Take the Long Road. It's my pleasure to introduce the founder of Jakinda Consulting, Mr. Mark Connell. Mark, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, Rella. Thanks, man. Great to be with you. Great talking with you. Really appreciate the invite and the opportunity to talk, man. Look, the audience doesn't know, but we've known each other since second grade. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. It's been a lot of fun for me, man. I've been waiting to have you on for a long time. I've followed your LinkedIn post, Make Change, Take the Long Road, and I loved it, Um, obviously, because I know you so well, and I know your journey and the perseverance and the grit that you've carried, you know, throughout your, your career, um, but, I, you know, look, everything going on in the world, um, I felt it was time to bring you on. You know, you, you took chances early on in your career. You disrupted yourself. Um, and there's a lot of lessons learned. And I felt like your perspective would be great for our audience, as so many of our audience right now, um, they, they or their friends or family are experiencing disruption in their own life due to the financial impacts of the pandemic people getting furloughed, laid off, making, having to make career changes. So 
I'm hoping that our our audience can glean a little insight from how you've had to navigate your long road. Like, man, you were a network administrator back in the day. And everyone I know is trying to get into IT. And you were like, nah, that's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's right out of the gate, you know, puts you in a whole different class for people that we normally talk to on the show. Give me a little bit of insight into how just that came about. Yeah. Well, so, you know, my background, you know, this, uh, my, my degree was electrical engineering, right? And at that time I had decided to get into computers and get into IT, uh, get into network administration. And so right out of college, I found myself working for a real estate financial firm as a network administrator. And when I started, um, the industry was making a transition to Windows-based desktop computing away from like Unix mainframes, right? The, uh, the workhorse of that company when I started was a SCO Unix box and they were migrating over and it wasn't uncommon in the early days for, you know, systems to break down during a closing. So here you've got these people trying to buy their home and all of a sudden the system goes down and they can't finish the closing. And so, you know, I really saw our job as being substantive. If the machines, you know, if the machines went down, people couldn't buy their homes. And that was, you know, that really gave it a sense of purpose for me. As the years rolled by very quickly, the technology just, you know, advanced by leaps and bounds and the company grew bigger and bigger. And even though that original piece was still part of the work, it, transla- it transitioned to more of the company getting so big where we really weren't as, having as much impact, I saw, other than, you know, people were working at the bottom line trying to raise the stock price for the company. And not that that's a bad thing, but there was sort of a disconnect between feeling like there was a purpose, feeling like there was an end result that I was really a part of. So after, uh, after I think it was like five or six years, I just, I had this, this feeling, I woke up one day and I said, I need to be doing something uh, more impactful with my time and talents. The challenge was, I didn't know what I wanted that impact to be. And I didn't know what those talents were, to be honest. Um, And so after some planning and some deliberation, um, and a lot of discernment, I just decided to quit. Um, I walked out. Uh, It wasn't because the team I was working with wasn't, great. I loved working with them. Um, and I'm still, you know, a tech geek, as I like to say. Um, I just felt that working as a network administrator in that particular capacity wasn't the best use of me. And I wanted to go find what was. Um, and to do that it required that, uh, at least at that time for me, um, that I walk out the door and put myself out there. So was it like a Jerry Maguire moment? Everybody come with me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And then, yeah, everyone, I walk in, everyone's applauding me and then saying <laughs> off to the side, out of the side of their mouth, he'll be fired by the end of the week. <laughs> I love it. Dude, does he even have a job lined up? Nope. Um, oh, man. And, and that was, and whether or not that was the right move, the, you know, the right decision, um, and it worked out for me. Um, and I could, I had that flexibility. I had that luxury uh, because I had, I didn't have anybody depending on me bringing in a paycheck besides me. I wasn't married, didn't have kids. Um, so to take that gamble, if it didn't work out, the only person who would really suffer would be me. Um, now it was still relatively risky because I had a mortgage and student loans to pay. You know, those, those two things did not care about me finding my, the ideal use of me. Um, so it wasn't like I had my, my epiphany that I needed to quit and then left the next day. I actually, it took me about, I would say, a year, year and a half to get things lined up. I made sure I had some money socked away so I could float for a while while I looked for, you know, whatever was going to come next. Um, and I had been doing some side IT work for individual clients, people who just wanted to have their home network operating correctly, or they, you know, just got the new iPod when that was the, the bleeding edge of technology. 
and they were trying to get it to connect with their computer and move their music all around through iTunes. So I had a, I had a, a list of private clients that I was still doing work for on the side, and that was bringing in some money and a couple of other projects lined up. But the day that I walked out the door, which uh, was August 4th, 2005, um, I, I, I celebrated every year as my little mini Independence Day. Um, I did not have a job lined up to go to immediately thereafter. So, so tell, tell the audience a little bit about the process that you took on or went through to, to start to head down this journey. A lot of it can be just categorized as personal growth work, right? Um, one of the, and I write, I write about this uh, in the article, <clears throat> one, of the, uh, one of the helpful exercises for me early on was visioning what the end looked like. So in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey writes as his second habit, begin with the end in mind. And in the book, he has the reader go through this exercise of visioning um, a funeral. And in, in, in a lot of detail, asking the reader to go into detail as to what they see. And then they enter the church and they walk up to the casket and they see themselves. It's their own funeral. And then they imagine what the speakers are going to say about them. Um, I've, I've modified this exercise a little bit in people that I've worked with over the years. Uh, I've changed it to a retirement party. It's a little bit more fun than a funeral, right? <clears throat> but, but the idea is the same. And this is what, this is one of the first things that I did was, all right, well, since I don't know what that higher and better use of me, uh, what that vocation is going to be, uh, let's imagine I was at the end and I did know. And what would my wife say? What would my uh, siblings say? What would my coworkers say? What would people who are, you know, leaders in the community say? Um, what would they say about me and what I did, the impact that I had? Um, and I used this as a way to start to unearth what, what areas, you know, what, what, are sort of the, what are the areas that drive me? And by knowing what those things that I wanted to focus on were or are, I would start to understand what my values are. Because that becomes a key component as well what are someone's core values? We don't really do a lot, you know, in my experience in life and teaching people how to sit down and reflect and say, okay, what, what is at the core of who I am? And no matter what I do, because these days people change careers uh, much more quickly than they ever did before. And interests come and go, and we have more flexibility to make these kinds of changes in our lives. However, the values that are central to us, those don't change. Those principles don't change no matter what. And if you start from there, you can start to, you can elaborate on, okay, even if I don't know exactly what it looks like, I can start weeding out things that I thought might've been aligned with that. Um, and I can explore things that I think still are aligned with that. Uh, so that was one of the first exercises I did. And then there were a handful of others. I had a great opportunity to <clears throat> go do a, a day long test of aptitude uh, scoring. I, it was about eight or nine hours long. And throughout the day, um, I had taken the, a, a test where they threw a bunch of words at me that were just made up words, but it was, you know, it was basically another language. And then after I studied those words, I went on to another thing. I came back and they tested me on those words. And that was a test to see what's my aptitude with respect to language. Um, what was my aptitude with respect to working with numbers and picking out patterns? What was my aptitude with respect to working with three dimensions? They had a three-dimensional puzzle, this block of wood cut into various shapes that really only came together one way to remake that block. And I couldn't do it. And at the end, when I got the final analysis of everything, it's I'm, I'm, just, I'm not good in 3D space. Um, 
my mind just does not work that well, which, you know, going back to my time as an engineering student, uh, now I understand why 3D calculus was so hard for me. Um, my, my mind just says, looks at it and says, yeah, not for I'm good. We, we talked about, um, like we talked on the show last week around, man, I wish I had the insight into me that I do now later in my career, <laughs> earlier on in life. We've been yeah. sure this whole time because we don't have the tools that we have yeah. now as, a, you know, executives, right? Oh, man. <laughs> we, it, it, then. If I, if the things I knew, you know, if, if it's that whole idea, you know, youth is wasted on the young. If I knew then what I know now, particularly about this journey, this process, how would I have done it differently? Um, how would I, you know, would I have even left IT? If I know now, if I had this back then, I don't know for certain that I would have made such a drastic change. Uh, my changes might have been more incremental. I might have been working around the edges uh, more, right. in the margins. Instead, rather of, going, than going instead of going for value-based decision-making, exactly. it may have been location, comp. <laughs> could, have been a, could have been a whole host of things. I probably, you know, maybe I just would have done IT for nonprofits or something. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, the, the, <laughs> if I had had this information about myself earlier on, what I knew I was good at naturally, what environments I know I thrive in, um, what is the best use of me, what is, what is putting me in a position where as I'm doing it, I'm, I am just engaged to do it more. If I had known these things sooner, uh, what a difference. I think that would make for a lot of us if we knew how to do that. I, I agree, man. There's so much. I cannot wait to dig into this a little bit more. But hey, folks, we've got to transition to commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with founder of Jakinda Consulting, Mr. Mark Connell. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. 
When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with founder of Jacinta Consulting, Mr. Mark Connold. Mark, so you took the leap of faith, brother. Good job, <laughs> right? So there you were, jobless, bills, thankfully just you. But uh, what was that first <laughs> job after you, uh, you, you have evaluated yourself and figured out what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, yeah after, after jumping off the cliff uh, with no parachute, uh, the first thing I got involved in uh, as a, a – pretty much every day job. Um, there was a, uh, a no, uh, community organizing group in Chicago that worked with a predominantly Latino neighborhood. And uh, a, a priest friend of mine was on its board of directors. He reached out to me and he said, Hey, I know you're looking for something to do with your life. You're looking for, for, for something with a bit more purpose. We have, this, you know, I'm on the board of this group and they just got a grant from the Illinois Board of Education. And we have to open a community center, a community learning center in about eight weeks. Um, we have to put together an after school program for about 200 kids to get them off the streets in a place where they're doing homework and engaged in other activities. Um, that also helps out their parents because they can't always get off work. Um, eventually, we want it to expand into uh, a place that offers English as a second language courses that teaches, you know, financial literacy, that, you know, a, a big resource for the community. And it needs a project coordinator, needs someone to get it off the ground. The woman who was going to do it had recently been promoted to executive director and she couldn't do it anymore because she had her hands full. So I met with them, um, told them about my, my background as a project manager, um, and, you know, felt that I could, I could handle this. We met, went well, and that was my first gig. And uh, it was successful. You know, we opened up this community center in, uh, like I said, in eight weeks. We got it staffed up with teachers for the program after school. Uh, we got uh, about 250 kids uh, signed up. That was basically full enrollment. We actually had to start a satellite uh, offering at a different school because we had enough people who were interested in it and, you know, got the supplies, got the curriculum, got it all up and running and boom, that was it. And here I was working with, um, a community in Chicago that, you know, was in need of this kind of service that, uh, you know, that just didn't always have these kinds of resources available. It was something that was impactful on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and I was loving it. It was great. We got it open and yeah, felt, felt great about it. Felt that I was on the way. Was that the, was that what was missing from corporate? Was that like human aspect of doing something for, for underprivileged or, you know, what was the value that you had assessed in yourself that said, all right, I want to do that. The two of them came together. It was when I was doing a lot of that personal growth work, uh, one of the key values for me is, uh, is just a sense of service. That's a, that's a big thing. 
and, uh, and, and, and I attached it to service towards things that are much larger than myself. So as I said, when I started in the IT gig, if the computers weren't up and running, the systems were failing, families were not buying their homes and reworking an escrow package. That takes time and money, you know, rescheduling closings. It's a pain. So it's, it's got to work. Right. And the bigger the company got, uh, the more that sort of that sun set inch by inch each day, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So working with, uh, this, uh, community center, uh, in this, you know, underserved neighborhood in Chicago. That was, uh, that was uh, right in line with what I was looking for. It was service and it was something, it was a need much, much bigger than myself. And so that's when I knew, that's what solidified that aspect of it for me, even though it would become a setback because the executive director and I, we did not get along. Um, she did not like my project management style. And so she just, thought the easiest thing to do would be to fire me. And she did. So, so, so you, found you, you found the first step <laughs> in the path and you hit the first wall. <laughs> and, yeah, and right away, yeah, right away, man. Uh, I, w- I was in it, like I said, I was in it for a few months, got it up and running. We were successful. Everyone was saying, you know, great. Could have been better. Of course, it had hiccups. But, you know, we, we achieved the objective. Uh, but then, yeah, then, uh, then I walk in one day and she said, yeah, I think it'd be better if you just didn't work here anymore. Right, so, so, so process that because a lot of people are going through that right now. Yeah, not just you know you know because of their performance, right? It's like companies are having to make hard decisions because of their financial position. You know where things are going. They where people are forecasting Q1, Q2 to be next mm-hmm. year based on the pandemic and you know recession. So, like, how do you process that? And what advice would you give folks after they hear that to not yeah. give up? Uh, how did I process it? It wasn't, I don't know what's wrong with me. It wasn't for some reason that scary. You would think it would have been. And I don't, I don't know why I wasn't as freaked out about it um, as I probably should have been. Um, I just said, okay, that wasn't it. Um, or at least that wasn't it in that particular incarnation. I had learned a lot in the months that I had been there and in what I drew as successes of that endeavor in the larger picture of me trying to find that higher and better use of me. Uh, so I just, I took it as a, all right, this is, it, you know, it, it's not ideal. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm sad about it. Uh, but there's still a lot I can take on this larger journey. Um, but that then led me to, the beginning of a much larger uh, revelation around perseverance, um, which if we have time to get into it is really uh, Jakinda translates into he who perseveres from, uh, from the Luo tribe in Kenya. And if we have time, we can get into where that story comes from. Um, But that, that experience taught me that, you know, it's, it's not going to be ideal. Uh, there will be, uh, there will be challenges. And if I'm serious about this, just like anybody, if you're serious about anything, um, you, you, you take the good with the bad, you take the lumps and you take what you take the learning that you can and you apply it and you just keep going one foot in front of another. That is so fundamental to this process of, finding this sense of purpose, the sense of living with a bit more intention. It doesn't have to be as drastic as quitting your job. And I talk about that in the article. Um, but it is important to persevere, to be persistent, to have the discipline to just keep showing up again and again, regardless of how good, bad, ideal, or not a particular situation goes. Is that because so, you had a, longer, a larger vision in mind? Like you saw something long-term and like you had that end and you knew what the end result wanted to be? Or, you know, did you settle on one passion? Or, you know, did you kind of have other things that were conflicting that kind of were battling with you? Like, how'd you shake that out? So <clears throat> one, of the, one of the fun things about this process is, you know, people, people have asked me that, you know, did you just settle on one thing? Uh, did you know right away? 
I didn't know right away and I didn't settle on one thing. Um, I was willing to give myself the time and space to try things and see uh, if they felt like an authentic fit. You know, I, I, the understanding who we are, who, who is our, you know, who's my authentic self? That's a, that's a, that's a key question to ask. Um, I tried a bunch of different things. Uh, I, I tried working with this community center. Um, a friend of mine was a commodities trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. And I thought maybe that was an avenue into uh, what I wanted to do. I, I heard about what he did and it sounded interesting. And so he, he let me shadow him onto the floor uh, at the Chicago Board of Trade. I don't know if you remember the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they're at the, the I think it's the Mercantile Exchange and you got a bunch of traders on the floor throwing hand signals and shouting and this and that and the other. He brought me down into that and I watched him work for a day. And after that, I knew that that wasn't where I was going to go. Um, uh, at that time, uh, I was also helping my then girlfriend uh, get her nonprofit off the ground using theater as a tool for education around mental illness. And I was doing a lot of the uh, sort of the, the left brain side of the house and getting the organization established. And later on, when I would move on to other things, I took a lot from that uh, in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm definitely aligning with these, these initiatives of, of service that, 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 that work on a, that play on a bigger stage, if you will. Um, serving and trying to solve big problems. I, I, I knew that whatever it would be in the end, even though I wasn't totally sure what it was going to be, I knew it was going to include that. And that was going to be a big part of it. And that's how I eventually, you know, I went on to be, to, to be a volunteer uh, high school teacher with missionaries in Jamaica. And that got me curious about renewable energy because we had a wind farm very close by, but we had power outages multiple times a day. So I started asking questions as to, you know, why, why are we losing power? What's going on? Found out it was a problem. It was, it was an economic problem. It was a technical problem. It was politics. It was finance. It was all these things meshed into one. And I got really curious about that. And that led me to graduate school for international relations and got into um, energy resources and conflict management. That led me to working for a nonprofit right afterwards where I was working with Caribbean governments on long-term energy transitions. And that found me in this space of working on uh, energy and climate change. Um, and so that's a pretty large stage to be playing on. That's a pretty big problem to try and address. Um, particularly as I keep working with developing countries uh, where electricity is way too expensive, um, where, com where countries are way too reliant on fossil fuels and uh, how they have resources they can take advantage of that get them off fossil fuels and allow them to take the money they would have spent on it and put it into uh, their infrastructure and improving, you know, the, their particular you know, economic situation. So that perseverance, that staying at it, even if you don't know what it is exactly, um, honing that vision, honing that, uh, that sense of these are my values and these are the best ways I can apply them. These are my talents. I know where that intersection is of what I'm good at, what the world needs, what it'll pay me for, uh, what my conscience tells me I should be moving toward. That intersection really becomes a place that a person needs to learn to sit in, no matter how long it takes and how uncomfortable it may be, uh, to find that way forward to keep putting that foot in front of the next foot in front of the next in front of the next so that was a long process right i mean, I've, I mean I've obviously you know had a front row seat to a lot of that right <laughs> um you know who who did you enlist support from mm -hmm. during this time you know mm -hmm. as you were living overseas you, you know mm -hmm. traveling around the world trying to um help a lot of people um, and at the same time, you know, get your career to where you wanted it to be for you, maybe not necessarily for what people would want you to do. Right. Mm. Um, and that's also, I think it's a very interesting thing where, you know, you took this journey to end up to where you want to be. Um, and I feel like a lot of times people almost have to settle for a circumstance. Right. And yeah. you kind of, 
you know, been able to kind of navigate that. So who, who did you lean on? Who was your big, you know, who would you credit kind of let support the support system be? Um, you don't need to give names, but just like, you know, who are some <laughs> folks that you can lean on in this time, right? When you need help. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I, if I, uh, if I was going to give a shout out to every individual, we'd, we'd need another, we'd need another <laughs> episode, right? <laughs> this is a, this is definitely not a, a, I mean, in a sense, it is a do it yourself thing. It's, it's up to the individual, right. To stay with it. Um, it's up to the individual to, to keep showing up, to, to set the intention and keep showing up. Um, but this is, this is a great, uh, this is a great uh, point. And this is actually the topic of my next, uh, installment in this series, um, knowing the difference between supporters and cheerleaders. Um, you know, I, I definitely turned to my family, you know, my parents, uh, were, were a big, I mean, they've always been, my, my, my parents are, are still some of the biggest supporters I've got. Um, they were, they were a constant source, regardless of how well or poorly things were going, uh, particularly when they were poorly going. Uh, they were, they were the first ones, first ones there, uh, for me, um, you know, extended family like yourself or, you know, your brother who, you know, just as close with, uh, people I could check in with on the regular, right. You know, I could make phone calls and Skype calls regardless of, you know, where I was just to check in and say, Hey, here's what's going on. Um, and the, the more people found out about it, the more friends found out about it, the more they just, they told me, they, Hey, I want to, I want to be there for you. I want to support you. What's the best way I can do this? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're all over the place in these different countries and doing these different things. Uh, how do I keep up? And this is where, you know, as I, the, when I first started this process, I was really, I had you know fear and anxiety about the whole thing. And a friend uh, really challenged me to make myself vulnerable and said, you know, share, share how scary this is for you with people, because I think people would want to know this um, for their own selves, because they may be going through something similar and because we know and love you and want to support you. So that's where I started my, my blog originally back in 05 on this. And then as I, as the process moved forward, I was then, it was less about how do I process this, you know, this decision this move in my life into, Hey, everybody, here's what I'm up to. And people were throwing comments and emails and hitting me up and just saying, Hey, you know, doing a great job. Keep it up. Um, but in there, there was also a group that I turned to. These are the cheerleaders. These were people who, whenever I had an idea, whenever I said, you know, what, I think this might be the direction I was going. They were the first ones to challenge me to say more about it. Ooh, what about this? What does it look like if you do this? How does this work? Yes, I think you can do this. Why are you limiting yourself to only that? Why don't you push yourself that much further? You know, when you've got supporters, they're there for you. They got a hand on your back. They're telling you you can do it. Um, they want you to succeed at every turn. But cheerleaders carry in them a little bit of a different fire that says, you know, not only can you do that, you can do more. They see a potential in you that you don't even see in yourself. It's almost like having that mentor that's going to say, yeah, that's great. And here's a bit further that I see for you. And I don't care how radical and crazy it sounds to you. I know you can do it. And so to have both of those sets of people um, is important. And, and one of the keys I'm going to point out in this, new, this next article is don't be surprised if the people who you thought were going to be cheerleaders are not, you know, if you, you know I, I would turn to my parents and I'd say, huh, I thought my parents would have been a little bit more fired up about this idea that I have. Well, they're my parents. All right. They'd known me my whole life. Uh, the good, the bad, and the really bad. Um, so, you know, and they're, they're too busy being my parents being concerned about my well-being. They've got too much of a front row seat where they're invested differently. They can't be a cheerleader or a mentor like that. Um, you know, people have turned to me and said, oh, I'm trying, you know, my, my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, I really thought they'd be more of a cheerleader. Well, you know, there's a lot of intricacies 
in that relationship. And so perhaps someone who's so close to the middle of it, like you, can't be that cheerleader and you need someone who's standing so the perspective becomes really valuable. It's almost like take it with a grain of salt, take the yeah. good from it, apply it to mm-hmm. you. And yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So in, in your, in your, your blog post, you, you make mm-hmm. a statement that I want to dive into a little bit and it says, sure. above all, take that first action, no matter how small, <laughs> get a yeah. sense of what that risk feels like and notice mm-hmm. that the world looks marginally different as a result. Mm-hmm. Unpack that for me. Sure. Um, you know, it's taking that first step is so key simply because so much is riding on it insofar as even if you'd go no further than that, you've just proven to yourself that you can do it, right? You've just proven that you are responsible for the life you want you are able to take action on it and do something about it. So if you want it, you're going to be the one to do it. You are going to be the one to make it manifest. Um, and that, I mean, it's even something as small as I know, I, you know, people can love their job. And I, you don't have to quit your job. You may love what you do for a living, but <clears throat> perhaps you want that deeper sense of fulfillment. And it's something as simple as getting involved in your community, but you don't know exactly how to do it. And hey, look, there's a community service project that is an after-school tutoring program. And someone thinks to themselves, oh man, that sounds like something that would really bring me a sense of fulfillment. Um, but I'm not a teacher. And you know, those are professionals who have done it. I'm scared to just walk in that room and say, I want to help. Um, People live with that fear. They make it up in their head like, this is going to be something drastic if I walk in there. They're going to laugh me out of the room. People like their comfort zone, right? They like that comfort Absolutely. zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but if you go and just take that step, just walk into that organization and say, I don't know how I can help you. All I know is I want to help. I dig what you do and I want to be a part of it. And then go home from that and just how, how is your experience? How is your knowledge different about you were able to walk out the door you were able to go take a very specific action and come home and you have moved the ball further than it was before you are further down the road than when you woke up in the morning how does that feel and do you want more of it that's it so it seems like you know self-reflection is a big part of of this um but also take risks collaborate with people you know um Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to speak up and 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 kind of stick to your gun so so what what kind of advice do you get because look the whole time you were doing this you know finding yourself right we will call (laughs) it right you still had a mortgage you still have bills right so you know let's dive in just real quick before we go to a break on you know hey look people get furloughed they get laid off family bills right they got to go through this process. And at the same time, they got to find a way to bring in some cash to kind of keep everything going. Right. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give the folks that are in that position where, you know, they've got, they got the bills are stacking up, they're going through the process, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put food on the table. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, as I write in the article, when people found out what I had done vis-a-vis quitting my job, uh, Years later, when I started working uh, in energy and climate change and go into these meetings, people would hear my backstory. They say, oh, man, that sounds fantastic. Should I quit my job? Should I quit my job? Um, And very stupidly, I said yes. Um, Without, And I say that because I never really gave it much thought originally that I did what I did because it was unique to my situation. Um, Again, I didn't have anybody relying on me. Um, right now, now I'm married and I have a kid. Um, and so we have top cover, uh, from her job with respect to health benefits and health insurance and that kind of stuff, which allowed me to start this company, right? I've got, I've got something to lean on. Um, but for people who are in a situation where, you know, maybe they don't have that luxury, you know, the bills are stacking up or 
you know, even if the bills aren't stacking up, but the cash flow is getting thin because they're having to cover certain costs they didn't have to before because of COVID, let's say, you know, now they're taking on a housekeeper or a nanny for the kids while they're working from home and that's eating into things. Um, we come back to the perseverance angle, you know, just, it, it's, it's, it, there will be tests on the, on the way without question. Um, and some of them may be tests that force you to face your biggest fears in life. Um, but again, if you have a sense of, I believe, if, if one has a sense of those core values and who they are, if they have that network they can lean on, if they have that sense of this is, this is not going to be something that defines me forever, this moment, this hardship, this trial. Um, and they have a sense of where they want to go and they are proactive. They take responsibility and go after getting what they want, getting, finding the solution that they want to find. Um, my experience has been inevitably the pieces will come along. They may not look exactly as you thought they would. Um, and you may not be able to see all the pieces looking forward. You may not be able to see the entire trajectory until you look back a little bit. But by taking responsibility for our situation and, and what we hope to manifest, my personal experience has been the pieces of, you know, they reveal themselves and then it's up to us to, 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 to act on them, if you will. Yeah, I love it, man. Because, you know, right now, I mean, people are in a position where they're having to reconsider even starting over in a new industry, mm -hmm. right? Completely start over, right? And, and watching that process of folks having to think through it, you know, like just having these fundamental things um, yeah. to think about are, is important. Um, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, moments of disruption, moments of uh, crisis, can be opportunities and chances to do things that we've been wanting to do. Um, again, if, if the people who rely on you, assuming there are, you know, assuming you, assuming you have that are taken care of and you have an opportunity to try something and particularly in, in such a <laughs> no holds barred, almost anything goes moment like this. Yeah. Um, there's almost no reason to not at least try assuming you got the basis covered. If you're on your own, and like I said, no one's going to go hungry for want of a paycheck, but you, and you feel like you want to roll those dice. Um, it'd be hypocritical of me to say no, <laughs> but uh, um, this is, this is an opportunity to try to, to stretch ourselves, to try new things and maybe try new industries and maybe try new, new ventures. Um, assuming that the bases are covered again, I didn't walk out, the morning I realized I didn't want to do my job anymore. It took me a good year, year and a half to get to that point of lining up certain resources so that I could at least float for a while and try and figure something out. Um, so I, I would say that in this moment, sort of the same applies. You got to make sure the bases are covered. Um, and if you're having trouble just even doing that much, then I would counsel focus there first, but don't, lose sight of the opportunity to try something. And it doesn't have to be trying something like quitting and going and trying something. If you can manage it, like I said, to find mentors or people you can shadow to say, I'm curious about this industry. I'm curious about this job. I think this might be a fit. Can, is there someone I can follow around for a day or two and see and, 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 you know, and okay, well, maybe that job wasn't all it was cracked up to be. So no, I don't want to go there. That's off my list. And sometimes knowing what's not on your list is just as important as trying to find what will be on your list. Yeah, it's good advice, man. All right. Hey, look, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, founder, Jakinda Consulting, Mr. Mark Connell. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with founder of Jacinta Consulting, Mr. Mark Connold. Mark, you, you found your path. You're consulting to governments all over the world on energy initiatives. What are the big cyber issues you're dealing with? So it's, it's amazing how rapidly the intersection of energy and cybersecurity is unfolding. Um, prior to the work I'm doing now, I had a chance to consult uh, the, uh, be a consultant at the, uh, the Army's Office of Energy Initiatives. And these projects that were being put into military installations were there for resilience reasons. You know, if there's a natural disaster or if there's a man-made disaster, how do we ensure that these places still have the energy resources they need to continue mission? And the cyber component of these projects was so elaborate because if there is if, I mean, in those kinds of situations, if there's anybody who needs to make sure that their systems are secure, you know, given, given the multitude of things that, that, they get, that they take on as responsibilities, it's them. Um, you know, blockchain is being used more and more for energy transactions, uh, large-scale energy transactions. Uh, it's really a, a technology that is helping to revolutionize the industry because, you know, you see, you see in the headlines, you'll see that, you know, Google or Apple or some other large company has committed to uh, a renewable energy uh, offtake agreement. And that contract is going to be managed through um, a blockchain register uh, to track uh, flows of energy and money. Um, and the more that technology takes over, the, 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 the more cybersecurity becomes a key element to this industry. Uh, with respect to climate change, uh, what we're seeing is, uh, first of all, 
it's not so much cybersecurity per se, but it is just that, uh, first of all, IT infrastructure is becoming more and more exposed to the increasing impact of climate events. Um, as you and I were saying, you know, you, you know, the, that Northern Virginia, that area of Northern Virginia is one of the heaviest hubs for global internet traffic. If that were to become a victim of increased tornado activity, let's say, due to changing climate patterns, that becomes an issue. Um, the more that uh, cyber actors can take advantage of early warning systems um, and you know, call, cause a false alarm that actually incites mass panic. Now, uh, cybersecurity has entered into the realm of climate change. So it's, it's becoming uh, an increased uh, element. Uh, it's becoming a, an increased factor as, uh, as these, uh, these global challenges, as, as these global themes become even more interconnected than they ever were before. And so... <clears throat> It's something that I think in the past, you know, when the smart grid started to roll out, people really weren't thinking too much about the fact that there might be a foreign actor trying to infiltrate um, our grid and bring it down or trying to infiltrate, um, you know, city traffic systems to try and cause some kind of panic uh, or some sort of incident. But that is, you know, that's, that's increasing. We saw not too long ago the, the, the issue in, uh, in Ukraine where, uh, Russia was able to infiltrate their electricity grid and bring down a lot of assets and leave a lot of people in the dark. Uh, you know, if it weren't for some remaining Cold War era architecture, actual, you know, analog switches, they probably would have been in a, in a worse situation than, uh, than they actually were. So cyber in the realm of energy and climate change is becoming uh, an increasingly important topic. And the more we have professionals in there thinking about what's the next challenge, what's the next risk. Uh, that's always sort of like the most important risk is the next one that's going to come along, the better off and the more secure these areas are going to be. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's interesting because, you know, you, you touched on a couple of things here. We, you talk about the technical parts of cyber, right? Hand on the keyboard, got to fight the adversary, keep them out of the network. And then you've got the other aspect of like the risk management side of things, you know, kind of the war gaming. What, if this happens, what will that happen? Kind of taking two or three mm -hmm. steps down the road or thinking two or three steps down the road. Um, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's a different skill set for sure. Um, mm -hmm. um, but the, com the combination of the two need to work together to, to get there. You know, what's interesting is, you know, I feel like in a lot of these new energy initiatives, there may be an opportunity to um, actually do security a bit differently, right? Obviously you mentioned blockchain, um, but maybe do it more securely. I mean, a lot of our, the grid, you know, you know, traditionally has been on older infrastructure, yeah. old OSs that are um, never meant to be on the internet and all of a sudden are <laughs> connected to the internet, <laughs> yeah. right? And that creates a whole other set of vulnerabilities and risks. Um, mm -hmm. So, we, you know, we have, we may have an opportunity here to it, through these initiatives to start to do things a little differently and kind of, you know, hopefully secure um, the grid in a different way. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know, you know more about this than I do, but it would be interesting to see if there's a point at which they two kind of you know, one new grid takes over that for the old grid, or are they always going to be kind of dependent on each other? So, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a question that comes up a lot, uh, you know, in the, the trade shows and conferences I get to present at and things like that. Uh, people are talking about, we know we need a different grid. One of the, one of the solutions that, is really growing and I think really has a chance to transform uh, things for the everyday consumer is a grid in which assets are smaller and more distributed. Um, however, in order to facilitate, let's say a grid where with the proliferation of, of electric vehicles, you're driving to your job um, and it's charging during the day. Um, and then you take it home at night and it plugs into your house and now you're powering your house with the energy that you stored in the battery of the car. Um, or, you know, when you plug it back into the grid, now the grid is actually drawing off your battery for a certain time because it's trying to meet a peak demand during the day when air conditioning is going. And then, you know, you charge it again at night. And there's, 
there's a there's a fee in there that you can charge the like the utilities for the use of your car battery for that service and how do you how do you facilitate that financial transaction that is going to require new technology in our grid i don't know that you can necessarily uh, backwards engineer the current grid to do it can you have a, a, the old grid running in parallel to the new grid you probably could but you probably you'd need to understand you know, what for the sake of what is it just so that we can keep certain assets alive because we don't want to retire them um, is it a safety issue so that if the digital goes down we have the analog to to, to fall back on um, the any sort of infrastructure plan let's say that we actually get around to implementing some sort of nationwide infrastructure overhaul this is in my opinion an area where some serious thought is going to have to be applied from the like from origin on the graph outward. Um, you don't just get to say, oh, we're going to build all these assets for electricity. Oh, and then we're going to try and put cybersecurity in on top of it as an afterthought. Um, I think when it comes to uh, the grid, the uh, the flow of information and energy, the interlink between those two, um, I think that it just if you aren't including a cyber component from the very beginning, if people are getting together in a room trying to figure out how are we going to build the grid of tomorrow and they don't include cyber professionals, then they're setting themselves up for failure from the get-go. Is it happening? Are you seeing that? Uh, is it coming up? It's being taken more seriously than I've ever seen it. Um, when, I first, when I first got into this industry, um, people would come up to me and say, oh, you got out of IT. Uh, that might actually become in handy because we're starting to, you know, digitize things more and more. It's not just a matter of generating a bunch of electricity from wind turbines and solar panels and putting it on an analog grid. Now these transactions are getting, are getting digital. Um, and that was about the extent of it. And then, you know, I was presenting at a conference uh, last October and they brought in a, uh, a blockchain specialist from Australia a guy who, I mean, he just, he, he knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And he was just talking about how this technology and, and, and these solutions are becoming fundamental and almost have to be something you think about before you even think about what's the asset you're going to actually implement electricity wise. Uh, there are more and more classes being offered um, uh, around cybersecurity as it pertains to electricity infrastructure assets. Uh, simply because we are seeing the proliferation of new technological solutions. Uh, the Internet of Things is a tremendous risk right now. Um, you know, you could cruise by someone's house and just do a quick scan, and all of a sudden you realize they've got one of those. Uh, I still think it's pretty nifty, not that I have one, but uh, you get the, the, these light bulbs that you control with your cell phone. You can change the hue of your hand, the lighting. You can change it from any, any color on the spectrum. You can do it with your cell phone. That's great. So, you know, it connects to your router. That's fantastic. Well, if that's wide open, your entire home network is now uh, exposed. And so all of these things that are supposed to be making our lives easier, these devices, these appliances, everything that's supposed to be helping us with energy efficiency um, and just ease of use and interconnectedness and, you know, all of it, it's, it's incredibly exposed at the moment. And this is something that is, uh, I don't think as I don't think the risk is as wide known as it should be, and I would love to see more professionals coming into the space trying to figure out all these devices that are fantastic that are making our lives easier that are helping us. The, they need to be more secure, and we haven't really thought about that all the way through. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective, man. All right, so look before we roll out of here, thirty seconds. If you had to go back and tell yourself before you quit your job, what would you tell yourself? You can do it. Love Don't it. be afraid. Um, you have, and this is specific to me, uh, you have nothing to lose. Because then I didn't. Uh, I do now. I don't think I'd give the same advice to myself now. But you can do it. Take the risk. It's totally worth it. Um, believe in yourself. Persevere. Uh, perseverance has, you know, the slogan of my company, perseverance finds a way. Um, it's uh and and you're you're listening to your gut you're doing the right thing i love it i really appreciate you coming on the show brother oh i appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and uh, hope we have a chance to do it again man
My man. All right. All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.